Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. Your host, as always, is Fred. Our desire is to encourage, exhort, and educate on biblical prayer through this podcast. The mission of the podcast is to help everyone God allows us to help achieve a growing, biblical, dynamic, and satisfying prayer life. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can reach us at freerangeprayer at gmail.com. If you would like, you can make a positive review wherever you get your podcast. That would be appreciated. Welcome to today's episode of Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast again today. Good morning at noon or night, again, depending on where you're listening. I'm still Fred. Prayerfully, some of the changes we've made in the last few days will help make the podcast uh, sound even better, the technology better. That's kind of where we're at as far as the episode. Right now, we are officially speaking in Episode 6, Part 3 how God's Word informs us and shapes our prayers. The plan, as you've heard before in earlier podcasts, was to take a look at God's Word and learn how it shapes our prayers and reveals to us, well, we've, we've looked at a couple episodes. This episode was supposed to be how it reveals to us the names, attributes, actions of God, and maybe even some words of God's, of God that we can use in our prayers and how that will help shape our prayers. And that was the that was the plan. So our praise is more completely informed when we when we look into the Word of God for for prayer. This also helps make our praise more varied and increases our joy and fulfillment in prayer. So it's a great obviously it's God's Word and He wants us to use that. So when we use the Word of God that way, it also helps us experience that eternal life through prayer fulfilling, making that more fulfilling because it draws us closer to God. And as we saw in uh, John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing Him, not a living a long time. And, but, but we've been over that before. So when we let the Word of God inform our prayers, it does make our prayers more satisfying for ourselves and uh, more comprehensive and complete. Now, I did kind of want to be transparent here, though, because I was going to do this episode as I described just a minute ago as far as talking about attributes and um, names of God and and verses uh, when God acted. But it's going to be more narrow, narrow than that because I got to the first name that we see recorded in Scripture where God gives us his name and... I realized I wasn't going to get through any more than that in this episode. Uh, it just isn't it, not going to work because of the importance and the uh, comprehensive nature of that very first name that he gives us. So the idea of the Word of God informing our prayers is now going to be a series of interwoven uh, podcasts through the main body of the podcast. So this is by no means the last word on on the Word of God, 
on the Bible and how it forms our prayers. Uh, but it's going to be an ongoing series, which I think is actually more appropriate for most of the things that we talk about uh, here on the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast anyway. And so that's that's what we're going to do with um, as far as uh, the Word of God informing our prayers. And this episode we're going to focus specifically on, the, like I said, the first name that God uh, gives us. This should also be able to help our prayers grow and encourage us kind of on a continual basis because I like this subject. I like using the Word of God in prayer. I do that every day. We've talked about that before. Um, I think that's going to help us to, uh, again, have that encouragement and that exhortation on a continual basis. Now, another great thing is earlier this month, we reached a thousand downloads. I've changed the plans a little bit from there as well because what I would like to do um, from here, from this point out, is to um, is to follow up this episode with another full episode on a summary of what we've talked about so far, and not, obviously not a complete complete um, endeavor to go over everything we've talked about so far, but at least in summary form what we've talked about. Uh, in the last uh, few months and so I'm excited about that because we've been kind of heavy on the teaching part and I would like this next episode coming up to to center more on the encouragement and exhortation part of the podcast and so that's where we're going to go forward from there and then we're going to start talking about the elements of prayer and uh, uh, elements is a good word sections might be a good word Uh, by the time I get to that podcast will um, will have some other ways of describing it, but when we talk about the elements of prayer or the parts of prayer, those are some of the rules that we talked about very early on in the life of the Free Range Preacher Prayer Podcast, and we're going to see their importance. But as I analogized before, when you when you want children to learn to talk, you don't discourage them because they don't know the rules. You encourage them, even though they don't know the rules. And God is the same for us. He wants us to pray. He wants us to open up our hearts before Him. And then, though, as we learn about the elements and as we mature and grow in our prayer, those are really going to help. And we're still going to be our, be able to pour out our hearts before Him, but they're going to be a little bit more informed and a little bit more satisfying for us and then it, it, things just grow from there and like I said early on start praying and then as you are uh, praying you will get naturally better at it things will change for you as well and so as we're thinking about this and we're thinking about the um, the elements of prayer what I'm calling the elements of, of prayer it's from the Word of God that we're going to that those are formed and it truly is from the Word of God and we've been discussing how the Word of God is supposed to inform our prayers already and when we take a look at um, the elements of prayer they are greatly informed by the Word of God Uh, in fact one uh, man summed it up this way many many years ago he said um, you probably heard it but the way he put it was with a, uh, I believe it's an acronym, A-C-T-S, I think acronym is the right word, adoration, 
confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now, when I developed the Prayer Warriors Journal, which I did several years ago, and I'm updating it now, re-editing it, uh, I really wasn't sure what I thought of that acronym because I'd been praying for a long time and in the Word for a long time. Uh, by that point, some 15 years or so by that point, but uh, but I wasn't sure what I thought about that uh, acronym, the ACTS uh, acronym. So as I went through the Bible. Uh, for the prayer journal, I studied through the Bible, and I studied nearly every single prayer uttered in the Bible. And I certainly studied every lengthy prayer in the Bible, that's for sure. And But what I found, and I found when I did this, is they all contain, in one order or another, all four of those elements that we talked about. They, the, the lengthy prayers in Scripture all have adoration involved, confession involved, thanksgiving involved, and supplication involved. And I believe we can see that also in the Lord's Prayer. So, uh, even, even though I'm not going to call them specifically by those titles, those are the, 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 the parts of prayer, the elements of prayer, and some of them are mixed in. So if you're being thankful, you're kind of worshiping at the same time. And when you're worshiping, you're being thankful at the same time. So even some of those overlap each other and are um, dual purposes, if, if you might uh, say it that way. So we're going to examine each of those components in prayer. And I imagine it's kind of going to kind of be the same way as we're doing this now. It's as, again, as I get under my belt, um, more and more episodes. It just seems like we need to, to be cycling around to concepts on a continual basis. And nobody learns them once, and sometimes we have to learn things over and over again, and sometimes um, in, in different parts of Scripture, it's going to explain them to us differently, which are all going to be helpful. So I imagine it's going to be about the same as, as the, well as this episode has been. We're going to be looking at as a, um, a series as opposed to just one lesson on each of the components of prayer. And we do, though, want to see how it's going to inform and uh, uh, grow our prayer, change our prayer. Today, however, we're going to look, like I said before, at the first recorded name God has revealed to us himself. And then we're going to be stringing some other passages um, throughout the whole process as well. But that's that's the basis of it. That's where we're going to uh, start with that one name. And, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. Now, in the Old Testament, God reveals himself. He reveals not only that name, but several other names. And he reveals attributes and, and actions, all those sorts of things. Uh, and in the New Testament, though, Jesus himself, part of his ministry, he's part of the Godhead, and part of his ministry, part of his earthly ministry, was uh, this, and we find it in John 1, 16 through 18. And there John says, For of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, 
he has explained him. Although no man has seen God at any time, he did reveal himself to Adam and Eve. Obviously, he even walked in the garden with them. And he's revealed himself to every subsequent generation since Adam and Eve. And we don't have, obviously, the full story uh, of all of those conversations, but he has done that. But when we come to Exodus, God is being asked by Moses for a name. If you'll remember, God calls Moses in Exodus 3 to to go to Egypt and get the sons of Israel out of Egypt and take them to the promised land. And Moses is fearful. And he's afraid nobody will listen to him. And one of the things that he comes up with himself is if I if I have a name, if I can tell them who sent me, and, and I believe he just was trying to build his confidence in that. But that's what he asked God. He asked God for a name. Now, he could have used, and God uses earlier in this uh, chapter, in chapter 3 of Exodus, he could have said, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent me. But maybe he was thinking of like a, a, a really cool name, like a one-word name, like Zeus, or Amun, or Ra, you know, one of those um, uh, false gods, one of their names that might sound cool that he could use, uh, all, maybe like a weapon. But that's not what he got. God did not give him that. In Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, this is God again, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now I want to take just a second here and, and go to our obligatory um, mention that all the scripture references that we use, if I read them verbatim, are coming from the New American Standard Bible, uh, the 1977 edition. And I won't say any more about that in this episode, but I do like to let everybody know that's the uh, version that I, that I use. And so he tells Moses, I am. That's all. He just says, I am is sending you. And what I really love about this verse and this passage is that God doesn't give Moses a mysterious name. He doesn't give him like a, a magical name like, like Zeus. He doesn't give him a hidden name. He just says, I am. And the reason that I love that so much is that's actually the way the Bible approaches and handles God. The Bible itself is not really a set of arguments trying to prove God. It's not what the Bible is. It's not what it's about. You can use it to prove God, to help you prove God, but that's what not is not what the Bible itself is about. The Bible just presents God as a matter of fact, because he is a matter of fact. Scripture presupposes God from the very first line of the Bible. In Genesis 1.1, you've heard it and you know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's all. In the beginning, God. No theories, no, no ideas, no... Um, picture stories or word stories, if you will, of, of how he did it, except we find that he speaks it into existence. But he begins, the Bible begins with 
in the beginning God. So it really seemed fitting for me as I thought about this and studied this and prayed for him when he reveals his name, I am, and nothing more. You don't need any more than that. I am. The Old Testament, the worshipers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob presupposed God. And I'm not sure they needed a name, but Moses asked for one, and so he got one. And it's in that name, though, I am, that we see the self-sufficiency and the eternal nature and the power of God is implied there as well. But his self-sufficiency, I am, he doesn't need anything. His eternal nature, I am, I always have been, is also seen in that uh, that title, I am. And then, obviously, his, his power is implied by that. And so we might say, because God is, everything else is. And apart from him, nothing is. And I think that's even in scripture there. Not exactly that way, but that's certainly what scripture has to say. I am is completely appropriate. Now, later in the book of Exodus, when Moses is crying out, you'll recall, he wants to know God better. He can't do any more than he's already done unless God shows him some more. And we've all been in that spot. At least I pray that you have been in that spot before because he will answer prayers, not as dramatically as he did for Moses, but he will answer that prayer and he will show himself more, uh, show you, I'm sorry, more of himself. In Exodus 33:19, uh, can, uh, God continues in essence with his name and he said that's God saying to Moses I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion and when he uses when he, when he says proclaim the name of the Lord before you that's I am so he's using his name again. He's using that revealed name over and saying, again, I'm going to proclaim, I am before you. And with this added a little bit of information that we have, uh, this proclamation, uh, we see God is sovereign. He's the God over all things. He's good, and his name is great, but we can't make any mistakes. He is God, and he is in control. And between Exodus 3 and Exodus 33, we see that the fullness of that name I am entails the person of God, who he is, parts of his nature that we don't fully understand, but they're revealed there. Now, also, God is unaffected by our belief. Our belief whether or not we believe in him doesn't lessen who he is at all. It doesn't make him less God. It doesn't make him less effective. It doesn't really affect him at all, whether we believe or not. He's not trying to convince anybody. He just is. I am, right? And, and our fallen sensibilities don't affect him either. How we feel about things don't sway him in any way out, outside of his character. So he's not, not going to do something outside of his character because you don't like it or you don't think it's right or I don't like it or I don't think it, it's right. Now, as it turns out, who would have known until I got to be an old man? But as it turns out, I'm a stereotypical grandparent. 
my grandkids call me pops and if my grandkids want something they get it if I'm able to give it to them whether it's good for them or not whether I've thought through it or not in fact a few years ago when I lived and the kids were little I had made a rule after our last pet died that we were not going to have any more dogs any more pets well guess what happened as soon as my grandson seven wanted a dog he got a dog okay so I'm affected the sensibilities of my grandkids affect me and decisions I make but God's not that way his what we want our sensibilities don't affect and they don't lessen him and belief in him whether it is or not whether we believe in him or not doesn't affect who he is and so he's independent of all his creation he is simply I am and that's his name for me when I ponder that my heart just cries out with uh, with Romans 11 through 36 where Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's Romans 11, 33-36. And so we see, after, after just praising him, we see the further importance of his name in that when Jesus came and he came into this earthly life, one of his ministries was to explain God. And we read that verse in John uh, uh, just a little bit ago where John says, for of his fullness we have what all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. And that's actually three verses, 16, 17, and 18 in John 1. One of his specific ministries was to explain God to to flesh out, if you will, who God, who God is. And even though everything that we're going to talk about in the next few minutes is in Scripture, it is in the Old Testament, Jesus put flesh on them. He, he explained them to us in a way that we can more clearly see and more clearly understand. We also, as his creation, we need to know that. We need to understand that explanation. It was a necessary explanation, as we're going to see as we go through this. Uh, you're going to see the importance of it, uh, and it's, it's a glory to God. We follow this, though, because in the Gospel of John, Jesus says... On seven different occasions, he uses the name of God. He uses I am to describe himself. So when Christians say that Jesus is God and he claimed to be God, he is God and he did claim to be God. And this is one of those, uh, uh, one of the parts of the Bible that we know where he claimed to be God because he says of himself seven times, I am.
quick, really quickly just talk about those or review those. He says of himself, I am the bread of life. That's in John 6, verse 35. He says, I am the light of the world. That's in John 8, 12. He says, I am the door of the sheepfold. That's in John 10, 7, and 9. He says, I am the good shepherd. That's John 11 and 14. He also tells us, tells us saying, I am the resurrection and the life. That's John 11.25. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14.6. And then lastly, he says, I am the true vine. We see the fullness in his I am's there. We see the full nature and the full character of God and the full care of God has for us. When when. Jesus talks about being the good shepherd and, and the sheepfold. It's, it's probably the most unflattering term mankind can be called. When, when he calls us sheep, and when the Bible calls us sheep, it's not actually a very flattering uh, statement about us. Okay, Sheep are weak. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep are susceptible to all kinds of diseases. They are uh, susceptible to predators because they have no natural defenses. Uh, sheep are fearful creatures. If you've never read A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm, I would encourage you to read that because it's written by a shepherd and his name is eluding me right at the moment. I still have it here on my shelf because I love it and I read it over and over again. But he makes the point that a sheep, that sheep will neither eat nor drink if they are afraid. They won't eat at all, and they won't drink at all if they're afraid. Unless they have peace, they're not able to even eat or drink. And so you'll remember back in the 23rd Psalm, Psalm when David writes that, that his shepherd, the good shepherd, makes him lie down in green pastures and leads him beside quiet waters. I may have those mixed up. I didn't read those right from the from the Bible, but but those lines are there. We understand now why that is so critical is because the sheep won't drink and the sheep won't eat if they're not protected. So he's not being very flattering to us, but he is communicating to us as the Good Shepherd uh, through all these I Ams how cared for that we are, that we truly are. So when he sets out to explain to uh, explain God to us. Jesus himself says, I am the great I am as well. So he's telling us when we put our trust in him that he's the breath of bread of life and that he sustains all of life. He gives all of life and he sustains that life. He says, uh, when I am the bread of life and when the great I am tells us that, we can think of Matthew 6, 31 through 34, where Matthew says, Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. 
Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has had enough trouble of its own. And there's a couple of words there that, that I slipped in that aren't there. But he tell, when he tells us he's the bread of life, he's the sustainer, he's taking care of us. And we see that again amplified from Jesus in Matthew as well. Now he also says, I am the light of the world. And he alone is able to show us truth. He gives us everything that we need, but he shows us everything that we need as well. We need to know our state. We need to know we're sinners. But without his light, we wouldn't know that. We need to know that we need a savior. But without his life, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know that. He also gives us light so we see our weaknesses. That's why Christians should never be proud. Because A, we have too many weaknesses, and B, God shows us. He, he lights up our world, and we see those weaknesses. When he says that I am the light, we can again go to Matthew. In chapter 4, 15 through 17, uh, Matthew's talking, and he's talking about Jesus and the promises of Jesus. And he's saying that this is fulfilling a promise of Isaiah which says, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtal, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And to those who were sitting in the land and a shadow of death upon them, a light dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's the light, and he lights up the world with his presence and with the knowledge of what we need, and that he is what we need. And when we further look at this, and we realize that we're safe from predators, we're safe from predators because we're in the sheepfold, and we get into the sheepfold through the door. And that's John 10, and you can read that as well. We have to come through the door. We come through the door in the sheepfold, and we're safe. The safety that we long for is there, and it's only to be found there. And the only way into that sheepfold is through the door. When John 10, 7 through 9, Jesus therefore said to them, again, Truly, truly, I say to you that I am the door of the sheep. And all who come before me, or who came before me, uh, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. That promise, we have that safety that we need as sheep to be protected from predators because we go into the sheepfold through the door, which is Jesus. And not only is he the door to the sheepfold, he's also the good shepherd. And sheep, as I mentioned before, and is brought up in the uh, book, the Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm, sheep have no natural defenses. They have to rely totally on the shepherd. That's why there's such care in being a shepherd and such work in being a shepherd. Because if they get lost or if uh, a predator does come and uh, shepherd doesn't know or doesn't see it or is not paying attention, the sheep are completely vulnerable. They totally rely on the shepherd. 
and the good shepherd guards the sheep, the door to the sheepfold when they're there, the sheep when they're not there. Uh, oddly enough, I also found out from that book that he medicates the sheep. There's oils and things that they put on the sheep to keep them from getting certain parasites and certain diseases. I didn't know that before, but the good shepherd does that. He takes care of them, and that takes attention to detail to do that. So the good shepherd protects us not only from predators, but from diseases, from things that would hurt us. And he leads the sheep, as we've talked about before, in beside quiet waters so they can drink in safety, and to green pastures where they can graze in safety. And as the good shepherd, he knows the best that we need. He knows everything we need. He knows and he's able to supply everything that we need and he knows what we need, what more perfectly fits us. My grandson probably didn't need a dog, but he got one. <laughs> okay, And we're always perfectly safe because again, Jesus is the great I am and he says in John 10, we're back in John 10 through 15, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and might have li and might have it abundantly. Sorry, I messed that up again. I was thinking that he's talking about the church, obviously the sheep. So he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He, he who is a hireling is not a shepherd. He's not the owner of the sheep. Behold, the wolf comes and he leaves the sheep, the, the, the hireling, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. My commentary, because they're unprotected. Verse 13, he flees because he's a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, he, we're fully protected. He's the good shepherd. He takes care of our souls. He takes care of our spirits. He takes care of us in every single way. And the gateway to eternal life comes through him as well, because he said, remember, I am the resurrection and the life. So he says that in the Gospel of John, and he also says in another place that he gives life to whom he chooses. So he has the power of life. He has, he has he's truth, he has the power of life, and that power is seen in his own resurrection and his own life. For this, we want to turn to... Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. And he says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who are asleep. For since a man, for since by a man came death, by a man also comes the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Our eternal life, our, our gateway into that life is through Jesus. And again, because he says, I am the life. 
the resurrection and the life. He sees it. We see that power in his in his resurrection. And there and then our eternal life is safe also and we're protected because he he says in in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's the full verse. Our eternal life is not only paid for and paved, um, it's also protected because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then while we're on earth, we're also protected. You're starting to see the fullness of that term, I am, that name, I am, because in our earthly sojourn here, we are protected and our earthly lives have eternal impact because of the one who said, I am the vine. He's our God and Savior. And he himself told us to abide in the vine. And he expands on that again in John 15, 5 through 9. And we hear him say there, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away uh, as a branch, and it dries up. And they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father uh, is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to me to, to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And so abiding in faith in him, we are fully protected in this life right now. And we are fully fruitful because we're abiding in him. As we're seeing that, that marvelous name of God, the first name of God, I am who I am. We again see him as eternal and sovereign, and Jesus explains and shows his uh, eternality and his sovereignty, his power, and he explains that I am, and even though it's fully, it's beyond our full understanding, we do know that he is equal with God. He and the Father are one, and we can read, we're going to uh, go back to John 10, and we're going to see that we're in Jesus's hands and Jesus is in the Father's hands and we're in the Father's hands and we're eternally and perfectly safe. We are the sheep of his pasture. In John 10, 27 through 29, I'll remind you what it says. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What a wonderful place. What a marvelous promise. What a wonderful thing to know the personal name of God. I am who I am. And it's great to be in that sheepfold it's not a compliment to be called a sheep, but we are. But we're in the sheepfold of the Good Shepherd. He's the God of the universe. 
He's the one who saved us from our sins. He protects us spiritually and mentally and physically for His glory and our good. So we can pray to the great I Am, who's sovereign over all and in all, because He cares for us and He calls us and He knows what we need even before we need them. He even knows that the hairs on our head, right? The number of the hairs on our head. So not only are we able to call on Him, but we're able to worship Him because He is I Am. We can thank Him for His power because He is I Am. We can thank Him for His compassion and His graciousness to us. And so we call out from our souls again right now like we've done before as we, as we look to Jude verse 24 and 25 where Jews said now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time now and forever amen Thank you, Heavenly Father, for today. We do bless you and thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we can call out, I am. Uh, we know, um, or at least we believe that that's pronounced Yahweh, but what you're telling us is, I am. That you just are, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you're eternal. We thank you that you're powerful. We thank you that you take care of every single need that we have. And so we bless you for that, and we praise you for that. And we, we want to add, Lord, that name, I am, and those concepts that you are the good shepherd, that you are to the door to the sheepfold, that you are the resurrection and the life. And if they haven't been added to our prayers yet, we want to mix those in, Lord Jesus, like we're maybe mixing up some dough and folding in those praises to your name. And so we thank you again for your name and for your revealing that to us. And again, we commit this time to you. Prayerfully, it's been fruitful. Prayerfully, you can use it uh, for edification and for uplifting. And I thank you personally, just personally, for the joy, Lord, that you know that it brings to my heart to be able to be in your word and to talk about your word. Uh, Lord Jesus, so again, I pray that you take my little fish and my little loaves and make them into whatever you want to make them into, Lord Jesus, wherever they might be needed. And so we bless you again for your leading, and we praise you for your goodness to us. And we pray it, Lord Jesus, in your name because of your love for us. And we say to the great I Am, take us, Lord, and do your will in all our lives. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So again, I do thank you for your patience and your persistence in listening to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. Um, please, if you have any questions or any comments or any prayer requests, you can certainly contact contact us at freerangeprayer at gmail.com. Just email. We, like I said last time, we got a few of those in. Uh, and, and so, but if you need, we're here. We're here for you. Also, um, I would try to encourage you, if you uh, are getting something out of the podcast, that you uh, maybe give us a, an appropriate review wherever you get your podcast. Uh, 
uh, I, I on other podcasts I know they ask for um, high reviews but I, I, well, I would like to know re really if this is helping what ways we can make it better as well so any kind of review would be greatly appreciated next time we're going to do a, a full episode on the summary of what we've heard so far and I'm really looking forward to that personally <laughs> I don't know whether you are or not but I am and so for now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Free Range Preacher. We hope you enjoyed it and will join us for our next broadcast coming up soon. For Fred and myself, this is Richard Durrington saying, Make it a godly, fun-filled day.